Well, thank you very much, Johnny, for the, the word of welcome. It's really nice to be back with you this morning, just a few weeks ago uh, since I was here uh, last. And I do want to say sincerely, I appreciate the invitation to come and uh, share with you. If you have a Bible with you this morning or have access to one, can I encourage you to open it with me, please, at uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians and chapter 4. Paul's letter to the Philippians and chapter 4. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a member of the Windsor uh, Baptist Church. Uh, was a pastor for some 23 years, and for the last 12 years, I've been working at the uh, Irish Baptist College as the New Testament uh, tutor. Married to Lindsay, and we have four children and three grandchildren. Three grandchildren just came last week, so that's good news. Anyway, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse 8, please. Paul writes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we'll end the reading there at the close of verse 13. Now, for many Americans, the name Tim Tebow is a household name. But for those of us who live on uh, this side of the Great Pond, maybe less so. But he's a very successful American football player a New York Times bestseller, a much sought-after speaker, and the founder of the Tim Tebow Foundation, which is an organization that is dedicated to uh, bringing faith, hope, and the love of Jesus Christ to those who are in need. There is a photograph of the gentleman himself. As a high-profile follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Tim Tebow uh, is well known for declaring his faith 
both on and off the sports field. And I'd like you to have a look at this slide, please, off him on the field. There he is facing down the opposition. And if you look very carefully at the slide there, uh, you will notice uh, something that's written above his cheekbones. And it's actually a Bible verse. It's actually one of the verses that we read this morning. It's Philippians 4 and verse 13, which, let me remind you, says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a favorite text of Tim Tebow's, and it's a favorite text of many Christians today. But like many texts from the Bible, if it's not properly considered, we end up really misunderstanding uh, what the words mean. Does it really mean that as a Christian I can do everything? Well, let's think about that this morning. And so what I want to do with you for a few minutes this morning is just take a closer look at this particular verse. And as we do so, I want to think about it along three lines. The three lines are these. First of all, think about the context of this verse. Where is it written? Where is it written? And what do we read around this verse? Secondly, think about the content of the verse. What exactly uh, does it say? Let's think about that for a little while too. And then to finish off with, let's think about how the verse challenges us today or ought to challenge us today as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the three areas that we want to think about uh, this morning. Let's begin then, and please have your Bible open, please, as we look at these things together. It'll be much more helpful if you do that. I'll be pointing you out to a number of verses later on. But let's think just about the context of these words. One of the dangers in reading the Bible is that if we're not careful, we can end up reading into it our own ideas and assuming that those ideas of ours are there in what we are uh, reading. And to avoid that from happening, one of the things that we need to do whenever we're reading our Bible is this. We need to always consider very carefully the context of a passage or a verse. It's been well said that a text without a context is a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. Let me say that again. A text without a context is a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. So understanding the context of any text, any passage, any verse is vitally important to getting at its true meaning. I mean, how many times have you heard politicians being interviewed on uh, maybe the radio or on the television, and they have been reminded of something that they have said, and they're maybe being criticized for it, and the politician turns around and says, you've taken that out of context. You've taken it out of context. That's not what I meant. So context 
It really matters. It really matters whenever you're reading the Word of God. Now, when it comes to this verse, Philippians 4, 13, we need to think about the context. And we need to think about it in two ways. First of all, what I want to call the wider context, just thinking about this letter in general that Paul wrote. And secondly, what we might call the immediate context. The immediate context. That is the verses just surrounding this particular verse. So let's think about just the wider context for a moment. And if you have your Bible handy, can I encourage you to turn with me to chapter 1 of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. And I want to read just a few verses here uh, with you and say one or two things about them. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 13, or verse 12 rather. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, so I want you to think about this, something's happened to him, all right? What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the Roman guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Note the word imprisonment. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, you can see that the uh, verses there are up on a slide, but I want you to notice the words that are in yellow there, imprisonment. It's a term that occurs again and again and again. Literally, that word means this, chains. Paul says, I'm in chains at the time of writing this letter to you. I'm shackled. And of course, many Bible scholars believe that what Paul is saying here relates to what we read at the end of another book in the New Testament, which is called the book of Acts and in chapter 28, where Paul is awaiting a trial before the then emperor Nero, and he's under house arrest with a Roman guard. He's lost his freedom. And he's chained. So that's something about his circumstances. And I think you would agree with me that as you think about those circumstances for a moment, they're very adverse circumstances. It's not a nice situation to be in. But what about those that Paul is writing to? What about these people? whom we refer to as the Philippians. We call them the, um, the Philippians because they lived in a city in uh, ancient Greece called Philippi. 
And if you were a citizen of Philippi, you were known as a Philippian. Hence, the name of the letter, the letter to the um, Philippians. Well, again, if you keep your Bible open, have a look at just a few verses here. And I want to draw your attention to verses 27 through to 30. And this is what we read. Only let your manner of life, Paul says, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one man, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, not frightened. Hmm. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For, verse 29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you Philippians should not only believe in him, that is, in Christ, but also suffer for his name's sake. Underline the word suffer for his name's sake. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict, underline the word conflict, that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, you're picking up on these words because they are telling us something about the situation that these Philippians are facing. And we've already thought about something of the situation that Paul is in at the particular time of writing. He's in chains. He's shackled. His freedom has been taken away from him because of his preaching of uh, the gospel. And he says to the Philippians here, I know what your situation is. You too are suffering, and you too are involved in this same conflict that I am caught up in as well. So it's quite clear that um, the, the context uh, for this verse that we're, we're thinking about here is a context in which there are very hostile and adverse circumstances being experienced both by Paul the writer and by those who are receiving the letter. And that's very important whenever it comes to thinking about this verse um, there in... Uh, verse 13 of chapter 4. So that's what we call just wider context, thinking about Paul, thinking about the Philippians. Now think with me about the immediate context of this verse, verse 13. What about the verses that precede verse uh, 13? Okay. Well, have a look at this, verse 10 of chapter 4, verse 10 of chapter 4. Paul says uh, this, 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Hmm, your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now you can begin to understand why they would be concerned for him because of his circumstances of being imprisoned. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation uh, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you will notice there again these key words of being concerned, of situation, whatever situation I am in, in any and every circumstance. So Paul is very much thinking of circumstances and particularly difficult circumstances, adverse circumstances that sometimes as Christians we find ourselves in. He says to these Philippian believers right at the very beginning of what we read there in verse 10, you have revived your concern for me. Then he quickly qualifies that, will you notice? And he says this, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's saying, I know you've always been concerned for me when I say that, but you didn't have any opportunity to help me out. But now you have had an opportunity to help me out, and I'm very grateful for it. What was that? What did they do for him? Well, it's very interesting if you read the rest of the letter, you'll discover this, that they sent Paul a gift of money to help him in his situation so that proper food could be bought for him, proper clothing as well in those adverse situations that he is undergoing. And as well as that, they sent one of their own members to take that gift of money to him and to encourage him and minister to him. If you read the rest of the letter, you'll find that the person that they sent was a man by the name of Epaphroditus. He's mentioned in this letter. So, having heard about his circumstances, they responded in a very practical way. We'll send one of our own to encourage him and to help him and to be there with him in that situation, but we'll go further than that. We'll send him money. so that his circumstances might be a little bit easier. And so, this is the context of our verse this morning. Paul is imprisoned. He's saying to the Philippians, you're engaged in this same conflict of opposition to the gospel that I am facing. We're all in this together. 
experiencing adverse circumstances. And yet Paul has a very powerful message to say to them in that context. In that context. Well, that leads us, if we can have the screen back up there, that leads us to think about the content of this verse. In other words, let's look more closely at what it actually says in verse 13. I'm reading from what's called the ESV, which, he, which is known as the English Standard Version. And it reads like this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's interesting how other Bible versions render this, and I've put a few of them here up on the screen for you to look at. ESV is the one that I've just referred to. Below the ESV is the letters KJV, King James Version. And it reads like this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you'll notice that the word him is changed to Christ there. Okay, but apart from that, it's the same. All right? And then a very popular one uh, today is what's called the NIV. It reads like this, I can do all things, all this rather, through him who gives me strength. I can do all this. What's the this referring to? And then the last one there is called the Net, Net Bible. You can read it on the internet. I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Basically, they're all saying much the same when you think about them. All right? Now, if you're looking at that screen very carefully, can you see that there's little numbers on it uh, in brackets? And I've put those numbers in brackets there just to indicate the number of words that are found in the verse. All right? The number of words. So with the ESV, there's 10 words there. With the King James Version, it's another 10. The NIV goes up one. It has 11. And the, the Net Bible has um, 13. Now, why am I drawing your attention to this? Because I want you to see something that's, that's very interesting. And it's this. Whenever Paul wrote this, he used six words. Okay? But in order to communicate those six words, Paul wrote in what's called Greek, special type of Greek. To communicate or translate that into English, we have to add in a few more words. Now, that will not mean very much to you. I appreciate that, all right? But those are the words that Paul actually wrote. Philippians 4 and verse 13. If you look at those words again, you can see that there are six of them. Six of them. And I want to draw your attention to those words for a moment. If you look at the very first word there, it's the word panta. P-A-N-T-A. P-A-N-T-A. Panta means this. It means things. That's what it means. Things. Not a thing. Things. It's a plural. Can be translated all things. All things. 
Now what's interesting about that word is this. If you go back to verse 12 in your Bible, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul says this right in the middle of that verse. I'm reading the ESV here. In any and every circumstance. In any and every circumstance. Literally, it reads like this. In every thing and in all things. Hear that? Hear the word thing in there and things? What's happening here is this, that in verse 13, Paul is picking up on what he's just said in verse 12 when he's talking about circumstances. All things. He means all circumstances. All circumstances or all situations. That's the first word. Can we get on the screen again? Need to keep it up there just a wee while. Panta. Can you say that with me? Panta. It means... I couldn't hear that. It means things. All things. All things. Panta. The second word here is a strange sounding word. Ishkuo. Let's say that. Ishkuo. Ishkuo. It's great. Ishkuo means this. It's, it's actually a verb. It's used a lot of times in the New Testament. And it can be translated in a number of different ways, depending on context. It means, I am strong. Say, Ishkuo. What are you saying? I am strong. It means, I prevail. Say, Ishkuo. Ishkuo. I prevail. That's what you're saying. It means I am able. Say Ishkuo. I am strong. I prevail. I am able. In other words, I'm sufficient. Put the two words together, panta ishkuo. All things, I am sufficient. I am strong. I prevail. I am able. Swap them round a bit. Ishkuo panta. I am strong. I prevail. I am able. I am sufficient for all things. And the things means circumstances. You see? Circumstances. That leaves us with four words. Four words, which I'll not get you to pronounce. (laughs) All right? But they're right at the end there. What do they mean? Well, it's very, very interesting. 
as to what they mean. They're translated like this in uh, the ESV. Through him who strengthens me. Through him who strengthens me. More literally, they could be translated like this. In the one who continually empowers me. In the one who continually empowers me. See that idea of continually empowers? That's that big long word there. Endunamunti. Endunamunti. Who continually strengthens me. Now think about that for a moment. The one that Paul is referring to here is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. This refers back to what we read in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord, which is why in many of our translations we have this word Christ who strengthens me. But when we start to put these things together, what Paul is saying is this, I am strong for all things, or all things I am strong in the one that is in Christ. Now, he could have stopped there and just left it like this. For all things I am strong or I prevail or I am able or I am sufficient in Christ or in the Lord. Full stop. And that would have got across the idea that in my relationship with the Lord, I am sufficient for all circumstances. But Paul didn't do that. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes it a little differently. Because he wants to talk about the Lord Jesus. And what he does here is this. He describes the Lord Jesus. And he describes him in a way that sometimes we don't think about him. He describes him as being the one who continually empowers me. In other words, Paul is saying this, Christ Jesus is continually active in my life. And in all circumstances, he is empowering me if I will let him. Do you see? Now that's a tremendous statement that Paul is making here. And it's within this context of various circumstances that Paul had to face during the course of his ministry. Times when he had plenty, times when he had nothing. Times when the circumstances were fairly good, times when the circumstances were horrible. How did Paul get through all of that and remain standing and indeed come through it all? How did he manage to do that? What's his secret? The secret is Christ. 
Christ in him. Doing what? Strengthening him. Paul was no superman, but he had a super savior who lived in him and enabled him to stand, to be strong in the face of opposition, to prevail in the face of opponents, to be sufficient for whatever was thrown at him. It's Christ. It's Christ. And what he's reminding the Philippians of is this. This same Christ is in you, active and operating, if you'll let him. They're facing, and this is why we looked at the context earlier, they're facing very difficult circumstances as well. He says, you're in the same conflict that you saw I had and I am still in. How are you going to get through that? Well, let me tell you my secret. And now it's an open secret. It's no secret anymore. I can do all things through the one who continually empowers me. And as I cooperate with the Lord Jesus, I know I'll get through this. I know you're concerned for me there in Philippi. And you've shown that concern in a very practical way. I appreciate that. And part of the reason for writing the letter is just to thank them for the gift of money and for sending Epaphroditus. He wants to say thank you. I appreciate that. But I want you to know that I'm not abandoned by my Lord. He's with me here in the imprisonment. And he's empowering me. He's enabling me. He's strengthening me. He's giving me what's necessary so that I can prevail and not be defeated by these circumstances. And that's the reason why I'm still able to rejoice. Because of Christ and what he is doing in me. So, irrespective, Paul is saying, of his circumstances, he says, I'm able to face these things because the strengthening one lives in me. He does that by the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian this morning, lives in you and wants to help you in whatever you're facing today or what you will face in the new week. And I like the way the Good News Bible translates it. When I first became a Christian, the first Bible I got was a Good News Bible. Bought it myself. And it puts it like this. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. It's really what Paul is saying. 
the strength to face all conditions. You take Christ out of the equation, you haven't the strength to face all that. But thanks be to God, Christ Jesus indwells his people by the power of the Spirit. That makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. And that's why we've been singing so much about Christ this morning and focusing on this. Christ. So we have looked at the context. Very important. We've looked at the content. And I've got you speaking in another language. Interesting. (laughs) Last word is this. The challenge. How this challenges us today. It ought to challenge us. It ought to comfort us. And the first point of challenge is this. To get us to recognize that as followers of Jesus... We can't escape the fact that we're going to face adverse circumstances. Loyalty to Jesus will attract opposition. And that opposition can come from people and it can come from the evil one himself. Need to recognize that. Recognize that. So here's a timely reminder when we read these words. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to live a gospel-centered life. It's not easy to live a Christ-centered life. It attracts opposition, all kinds of difficulties, and so on. But the second point of challenge is this. This verse challenges us to look away from ourselves to the Lord himself. I cannot muster up the strength within me to get through all the stuff that I need to get through, that I'm called to get through. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But the good news is this, God knows and God has provided. And in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have all that is necessary to live a godly life. Do you believe that? All that's necessary to live a godly life has been provided. And the strength that is necessary to get through these challenging times is available so that we do prevail and we are not overcome. So I think the Lord has brought me here this morning to remind you of that and to get you to redirect your focus off yourself and even off your circumstances and onto Christ today. And to say, whatever I am facing, I'm not facing it alone. 
And it may well be that uh, some of you have hospital appointments to face and you're scared stiff about that. Or you're going into a classroom or lecture room tomorrow and you're feeling, I'm just not able for this. Or going into some form of work or maybe raising children, facing all kinds of financial pressures and so on. You're saying, how are we going to manage all of this? And the Lord is saying, redirect your focus onto me. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I want to help you. But as in all things, you need to ask, and it shall be given. And you need to pray. And you need to pray about your day, and tell the Lord about your day, and the Lord about all your anxieties and all your worries, and so on, and say, Lord, <laughs> there is no way I can remain on my feet, remain standing apart from you. And you will find that he'll respond. And at the end of the day, as Elton John sang long ago, I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great verse, isn't it? That's a great verse. And so let's finish off. We've looked at context, content, challenge this morning. And in many ways, Paul is just repeating what he said in an earlier letter to a different group of Christians who lived in Rome. And this is what he said to them in Romans 8 and 37. In all these things, there's that word again, circumstances. We are more than conquerors. How? Through him. And how does he describe Jesus there? In this way. Who loved us. And he loves you. And he has demonstrated the depth of his love and the extent of his love at the place called Calvary. So how much he loves you. And so in a moment or two, we're going to remember that the greatest sacrifice of all made for you. What a savior. Amen.